Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hey, good morning and welcome to the Wisdom of the Soul from Paquita, California, the low desert near Palm Springs. A pleasure to be with you. Uh, one of our two co-hosts, Hannah, reminded me this morning that tomorrow is actually the first anniversary of the beginning of this class. So that's sort of exciting to me to consider that we did uh, we we had three weeks off during the year, so I guess we did forty nine classes. That would probably make this class number forty nine or maybe fifty. And all of those are on YouTube. All of them can be found by searching "Ageless Wisdom Mystery School." An edited version is podcast to all podcatchers and players. And so, while we love it, whenever you can join us live. If you're unable to, you can uh, listen to the full program and see the full unedited video on YouTube or uh, catch the edited podcast wherever you get your uh, your audio podcasts. Ageless Wisdom Mystery School and the class is Wisdom of the Soul. And today, our topic is the mirror of the mind. Mirror of the mind is a truly ancient um, meditative, and um, really a hypnosis technique. And I think the whole concept of the mind as a mirror could arguably be traced to the oldest civilizations. I'm thinking, for example, of ancient hermetic alchemy, you know, the pyramid builders of Egypt. Their second rubric, the second law of their emerald tablet, as above, so below, and as it is below, so it is above. As I mentioned in the newsletter this week, the idea that physical dense reality, the material universe, is in some way a reflection of divine mind, or that we are made in the image of the Creator, certainly a popular phrase from Genesis. All of this can be seen as a reference to reflection. Even the word to reflect is a wonderful word. Gee, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about that. Let me reflect on it for a little bit. Meditations are often called reflections. And uh, <laughs> we have the story of Narcissus falling in love with his own image in the, uh, as it was reflected in the pool of water. So mirrors and reflection as a way of seeing yourself, <laughs> you know, not just seeing your face in the mirror, uh, which can be a very trippy thing to do. If you study your face long enough in a mirror, or willing to really open your mind when you do it, will wonder, where is the me in all of that? Am 
my more than the face. What do other people see? Could I pretend I was somebody else as I look at my face in the mirror? And obviously we're more than our bodies, so that face is a reflection of who I am. But on a deeper level, who am I? Well, not to go too far afield, the mirror of the mind, which we'll talk about today, is a very practical and useful technique for healing, for solving problems, and for attaining goals. The law of attraction, so to speak. And before we do the opening meditation, I want to begin with a construct that you're familiar with my material, maybe you've come across before, but it's likely you have not. And that's the outrageous <laughs> suggestion that there are only two problems in the world. I've been teaching this for 40 years to some really bright women and men, and nobody's ever said this does not work for me. Could it be that there are only two types of problems or categories of problems? Number one, oh, I know what I want. I know the solution. I know the desired outcome, the result uh, that I'm looking for. My problem is in getting there or getting it or making it happen, but I know what I want. That's the first kind of problem. I know what I want, but not how to manifest it. And then, of course, the other problem would be what? I don't know what I want. Uh, <laughs> I haven't got the foggiest idea. Not only do I not know how to get it, I don't even know what it is. There's no there yet. I wouldn't. I might already have the solution and not even recognize it. I might. I might already have what I'm looking for, and and uh, it's it's not even apparent to me. But for the most part, you and and me and everybody else. The reason there are times in our lives that we don't have what we want, it usually can be attributed to not really knowing what we want. So that may be the more difficult of the two problems, to know what you want, to know what you want the most, and to know why you want it. And all of it, of course, hinges on who is the wanter, who am I, that I would want this. And uh, if we factor in then the Buddhist philosophy of desire being the source of all of our suffering, what if you don't get what you want? Or what if you only thought you wanted it, and then you got it, and desire nature raised up again and said, well, that's not enough. No matter how many of our desires are fulfilled, desire nature is never satiated. It always wants more. Well, it's a trap. You've got to be careful. Nevertheless, there are things that we need to accomplish and get done in a very practical way in our lives. And so we'll talk about that. So I just want to lay that down and, and give you something to ponder here as we go into the opening meditation. Does that construct work for you? Or can you make a little note or a mental note and consider it later? Could it be that this would be? a really handy-dandy way of organizing all of our problems into one to two categories that would then help us 
approach the solution, the refinement of that problem. That there is knowing what you want, in which case the problem is not knowing how to get it. That's why I have the problem, but I do know what I want. I think I do anyway. <laughs> and then the only other kind of problem, to have no idea. Or maybe you have a vague idea of what you want, but you're not sure. And how would I know what I want? Uh, that may sound a little convoluted and a little confusing, but I think it's a pretty handy place to begin. Do you know what you want? You're unhappy. When you're unhappy, is it because you don't have what you want or because you have no idea what would make you happy? And again, what about this desire nature that as soon as we get what we think we want, something else rises to take its place? Oh, now I want that. Now I want more. Right? Let's do our opening focus or group meditation and then we'll talk more about the mirror of the mind technique and problem solving. So if you'll close your eyes and get comfortable in your chairs, feel the chair supporting you. Feet flat on the floor, feel the floor beneath your feet. Realize that the floor supports the chair as surely as the chair supports you. You need not cooperate. Really let go. Deeply let go. Watch your body breathing. Put your awareness maybe on the rise and fall of your ribcage. And three. Eyes open now. Wide awake. Back in the room. Open your eyes. Wide awake. Feeling better than before. Maybe a little stretch. Big breath. Back in the room, feeling better and better. It's imperative that we begin to study the mind on this level. That's the whole point of Vipassana, of watching the body breathe itself and identifying as the witness rather than the breather. And I know people that have been doing Vipassana for years, and nobody ever explained it to them. And I don't know why. That's the reason we do it. Because it creates this. It's not a separation and it's not detachment because then we'd be oblivious. So we're even more involved when we're non attached. You see, we're even more aware. Isn't that ironic? As I said in the meditation, that profound insight and expansive understanding. It's a relaxation skill. It's not, you know, tighten your forehead, furrow your brow, and, you know, put your finger on your forehead and think real hard and try to remember. It's just like sports psychology. The harder you try, the worse you do. On the other hand, if you didn't care at all, you'd also do poorly. So you got to find the top of the bell curve. Or you care, and you make an effort, and you aspire to do your best, whatever it is, thinking, problem-solving, goal-setting, or some performance, athletic performance, public speaking, singing, dancing, acting. You got to care. You got to psych up. But if you go too far, then your performance degrades, and your memory goes to hell, and 
You got to tune the instrument, gang. You got Can you get a feeling for what I mean by tune the instrument? You got to find that balance point at the top of the bell curve. The upward side is called U-stress. That's E-U-stress. That means good stress. Down the other side, going too far, that's distress. Little stress is good for us. Too much stress is not. Okay. Let's talk about Mirror of the Mind now. You've had a chance to uh, consider what I've said about there's only two problems. Today we'll talk about the problem that I know what I want. I got a pretty darn good idea what it would take to solve this problem, uh, to attain this goal, or fix, manage, improve upon this situation. What makes it a problem is I don't know how to get there, how to do it, how to make it happen. Not sure what to do. The other kind of problem, the only other kind of problem I would suggest, is not having a goal or a target or a, a sense of a solution, a desired outcome in the first place. I have no idea. Not only do I have no idea what to do, but I don't even know what there is. I haven't the foggiest. Now, Having said that, I think what complicates all of this for us is, for whatever reason, we tend to approach all problem-solving as if it were a task that needs to be done. And so we look at all of our problems in a singular fashion, asking ourselves, what should I do? And we may ask others, and they say, well, don't ask me what to do. I don't know what to do. Hey, what do you think I should do? I got no idea what you should do. Well, I'm trying to figure out what to do. What to do about what? Well, that's part of the problem. I don't know what. I'm just, I'm confused, and I don't know what to do, to do, to do, to do. Considering that you can break the problem down into one of these two is a way to release that whole mental maze, that trap of asking the wrong question. The question is not, what should I do? It instead should be, do I know what I want? Replace, what should I do? What do you want me to do? What do you think we should do? I don't know what to do. Replace all of that to do to do with, do I know what I want? You may want to write that down. I think it's pretty powerful. Do you know what you want? There are other questions I hinted at earlier today. Do you know why you want it? Do you know what you want the most? Have you considered the consequences? How particular, how specific is your wanting, your desire? Do you really want this or the feeling that goes with it or the sense of accomplishment? Do you want it because it truly would please you or because it would enhance your image in the eyes of other people? The questions you really need to ask yourself. 
there's also, could I be happy with what I already have? Maybe I don't want anything. Maybe a better affirmation is, you know, grant me what I need, give me what I need. Whether it's a reward or a trial, I'll be happy with that. So if you substitute, what should I do? What do you think I should do? I don't know what to do. Substitute for that the question, do I know what I want? Then if the answer is yes, you're going to move to mirror the mind. And a few other techniques I'll touch on. If you have no idea what you want, the desired outcome, the result, the goal, the solution, the fix, we'll talk next week about approaches to being able to resolve that issue, to decide indeed what you do want, what you would like to envision as the goal, the result the desired outcome. We'll talk about that next week. So this week, it's just, yeah, I know what I want. Now, what do I do to get it? I think the first thing we need to consider is that we're not alone in this. And one of the great lies that our senses and sensations tell us is that everything in the material world is separate. Because of the limitations of our senses, we feel quite alone and alienated. We spend our lives reaching out to touch, uh, to have some sort of contact. We know that there are many animals that see beyond the limits of our vision. They see light at frequencies that are lower and higher and what we're able to see, colors that are outside the spectrum of red to violet, an ability that many animals have. So, too, many other animals can hear sounds lower and more often higher than we're able to hear. Whale sounds. If you think you've heard a whale, you're listening to a small fraction of the sound the whale is actually making. Most of them, most of the sound the whales and dolphins too, for that matter, are making are way beyond your capacity to hear with your ears and that whole nervous system that connects the ears uh, to the brain. Whales can communicate audibly over hundreds of miles. And uh, the sonar that uh, dolphins use, for example, or, or that a bat will use. Again, you can't hear that. The bat clearly can. You know, the winged bat is almost blind. The only way it can find its way around is to make these sounds that we can't hear. So there's a, this whole universe out here that's beyond our sense and sensation that we really know nothing of. It's our senses that tell us that everything is separate. Even when I reach out to pick something up, I pick up my coffee cup. Excuse me, now that I've picked it up. It's actually tea. The material part of my hand 
and the material that is that coffee cup, those electrons, protons, neutrons, those particles, did not touch. If we could zoom in, what was that exhibit at uh, Disneyland they used to have them? Wasn't it the Monsanto exhibit where you get in the little train car and you'd, you'd, you'd take a trip into the tunnel and they'd take you down to the cellular level, but then you'd keep going into the cell and next thing you know, you're on a molecular level and these particles are spinning around you. The distance between the particles and even the densest material, like lead or titanium, the distance between those particles is on a scale that's similar to the planets in our solar system. It's 99.99% open space in my hand. It's the energy that binds it together. So when I pick up my coffee cup, it's energy that holds the cup, which is bound together with energy. Any physicist will tell you that this is all an illusion, the idea that the physical world is solid. It's not. So nothing is really separate. It's a dance of particles. We're immersed in an ocean of energy that has these particles dancing around in it. But my argument is that separation is an illusion that we're all part of one thing. And when we become deeply relaxed and open our minds, we empower ourselves for being in the image of the creator means we create our reality, not merely through our reaction, not merely through our actions, not merely through our thoughts and feelings, it really begins with intention and attention. It's the mind that creates. And so when you do know what you want, when you have a problem or a situation, it could be an illness that you would like to accelerate the healing. It could be a um, financial problem. It could be a distressful relationship, uh, each person feeling hurt and, and uh, insulted and demeaned or discounted or dismissed by another doesn't matter what the situation is it could be running out of gas in the car people, people say well i would just pray what's the difference between mirror of the mind and prayer and visualization it's all the same thing it really is properly done it's all the same thing and remember, Christ said, these things I do, you can do and more. So he was talking about walking on water and healing the sick and fishes and the loaves. And why would he say that? Hey, you, you guys can do all of that. He asked Peter to come out of the boat when he's walking on water and try it for himself while he lectured them on not being afraid. So you're not alone. This separated self, this jiva nature, uh, as it's called in the East, this 
persona, which means mask, this personality, this ego sense that you identify as the separate being in this body, which is in perpetual flux, right? Every cell in your body is being replaced every few years, so you're never the same for long. We have access. We are, we are an emanation. We are a outpicturing of a creative force. So fundamental, it's often referred to as the creator or the absolute. You have access to that. You are made in the image of that. You can do the same thing if you practice, if you have faith. It's positive thinking. And does it always work? Yeah, it always works, but uh, we're such neophytes that we often don't recognize when we manifest, when we express exactly what we've intended to, because we often get what we need enfolded within what we want. What's that old saying, be careful what you ask for? And mythology is full of these kinds of uh, lessons and tricksters where the leprechaun or the genie gives you wishes, and every time you make a wish, you get what you want, but somehow you run amok because you didn't understand the power. The Midas touch, King Midas was a great example. Granted a wish, he said, well, I wish everything I touch turns to gold. Fine. Everything now, fine. Your wish is granted. Everything you touch turns to gold. He starved to death, right? He went to pick up a sandwich, it turned to gold. Mythology is full of these, <laughs> full of these stories. So, you have to be careful what you wish for, careful for what you want. And then, of course, as I said before, to recognize as Buddhists in their philosophy bring front and center is the insatiable nature of desire in the first place. Really? Are you sure this is what you want? I mean, I think you're safe if you desire to be healed. If you want to use relaxation to release a migraine headache. Or, I mean, why do we call illness dis-ease? If not because stress is a major component of all illness. It, it stress suppresses worry and doubt and nervousness and anxiety and confusion, uncertainty. It suppresses the immune system. And so we develop these maladies. There's some component of that in everything. We always want to find the one reason. You know, find that one virus, that one bacteria, that one fungus, that one parasite. That No, oh man, it's complicated. It's really, really complicated. And yet the mind-body connection. Consciousness is an element of everything. Ultimately, it's the whole story, but we're not Christed. We're just not that good at it, yet still. 
to be optimistic and to maintain a positive attitude, to use deep relaxation and visualization or guided imagery, to know what you want and visualize yourself already having it, has merit. There's value in it. Even in very mundane ways. I, a couple of weeks ago, I offered the technique of programming parking places. Sure enough, one of you came to me, I don't remember now if it was in class or afterward, and said, man, that worked. I couldn't, like, visualize this parking place right in front of where I wanted to go on this busy street. There's never parking there. And I came around the corner, and bam, there it was, just like you said. No, it wasn't there just like I said. It was there just like you said, like you, <laughs> you visualized. So if you're a pessimist and, oh, I can never find parking here, the universe goes, okay, you'll never find parking here. You know, the universe only says yes. It says yes to your negative thinking and your worries and doubts and fears, just like it says yes to your positive thinking. It's just not always that clear cut and that obvious. Sometimes things come around very quickly. Bam! Instant karma, right off the bat. Sometimes it's slower than that. Relaxation is an exceedingly important aspect of this, and then visualization, and that's mirror the mind. You simply... When you have the kind of problem where you know what you want, and you can visualize specifically, clearly, in great detail, the more specific, the more detailed, the more lucid, the better, go into a meditative state. There's variations on how to do this. Silver mind control, they have a blue frame and it turns to a white frame. And this is the past and this is the future and this is the present. Let's just keep it simple. Just close your eyes and relax. And dream your dream. Imagine yourself in a place of perfect peace, a beautiful place of ideal relaxation. A wilderness, a beautiful garden in Eden. And in the middle of that wilderness, that garden, the big freestanding mirror, a beautiful mirror with this elegantly carved frame. And at first you see yourself in that mirror. And then you imagine the object, the item, or more commonly, the situation, the circumstance, the condition that you wish to attract, the law of attraction that you wish to magnetize or manifest. As if taking a trip forward in time, you see it reflected in the mirror as if as if it already is what you wish it to be. And then what I like to do, what works well for me, is like Alice through the looking glass, I imagine myself then walking toward that mirror and stepping into the mirror through the looking glass as if taking a trip forward in time. And now I experience myself, I immerse myself and the wonderful feelings of already having it. Whether it's a healing, whether it's pain control, 
whether it's, uh, again, uh, an object that will satisfy a particular need, a state, a condition, uh, a relationship. Oh, I'm dreading going to the party because Joe's going to be there. And the last time I saw him, he was such a jerk. And I, we didn't get along very well. And now I'm so awkward. I'm going to see him at the party. My God, what if you did a mirror of the mind and just visualize in that mirror you encountering Joe later that evening? And it goes exactly as you would like it to go. You rehearse it in your mind's eye. Those of you who know sports psychology may say, wait a minute, this is sounding a little familiar. <laughs> this is an ancient, ancient technique. It's been around so long because it works. Miracles happen. I'm telling you, miracles happen. I worked with salespeople. The worst thing you can do as a salesperson is a cold call. They hate cold calls. I said, fine, so put your hand on the phone before you make the cold call and imagine it going exactly as you'd like it to go. Practice overcoming objections. Practice acknowledging objections and say, I know how you feel. If I was you, I'd probably think the same thing. Here's what I found. Rehearse it in your mind's eye. Play it back and forth over and over. Edit it. Rewind it. Play it again until you get it exactly as you want. And then roll it one more time and say, that's it. That's the way it's going to go. Let it be. So be it. It is done. Then open your eyes, pick up the phone, make the call. You can do it in 60 seconds. You haven't wasted any time. And see how much smoother things go for you.